last Sunday morning in our worship service, <coughs> we had uh, Joachim, uh, Gabriel Amory's uncle, uh, with us. And uh, I had the pleasure of, of chatting with Joachim, who uh, most of the, the sort of fellowship lunch that we had last Sunday uh, after the worship service. Now, Joachim and I talked about lots of things. But we did uh, at one point talk about the spiritual state of much of mainland Europe. And as we did so, Joachim spoke about the problems that he faces as a pastor of, I think it's, it's two or three churches uh, in Portugal. Here's a man, you know, talking eloquently and, and talking apathy that, that exists in those churches. He's pastoring a congregation or congregations of, of people who, yes, they are uh, professing Christians, you know, they're, they're believers, but these are people, he says, who are uninterested. You know, they're lacking a, a spiritual zeal. People who are spiritually sleepwalking through their Christian lives. Now, as we hear that, does it, does it not sound a wee bit familiar to us? Does it not? See, think about this. The, the problem that we face is, is not of Christians living in London. The problem of London is a lack of spiritual life within the Christians. And that's the problem in here. And that's the problem here, isn't it? That many of us, even this morning, in this, but just here as we're sitting like this today, many of us struggle spiritually. We've kind of lost that love and that passion we once had for Jesus Christ. We maybe are what Jesus referred to in Revelation as lukewarm believers. That might be said of us. And it is that that we're going to consider this morning. We're going to consider our spiritual sleepwalking. Okay, spiritual sleepwalking. And I suppose this point of the book of Acts that we've got to is kind of like, I don't know, uh, Selfridge's or Liberty's kind of revolving door, isn't it? Because look at it, you know, no sooner has Saul left the building, you know, he's away to Tarsus, isn't he, after all that opposition eh, from the Jews. No, no sooner Saul left, and the revolving door goes, and who comes back in? We've got Peter back as the focus of our attention. It's Peter that stands before us today. So, let's see here what happens with Peter. So friends, if you haven't done so, please turn with me to Acts chapter 9 from verse 32, and let's think about this. This is our first heading. Let's consider that Jesus uses the formerly useless Christian. Jesus uses the formerly useless Christian. Okay, so here we go. What, what is going on here? What is happening at the beginning of this section that we read together? Well, what we find is that the Apostle Peter has begun some sort of, what we call it, sort of itinerant maybe, some sort of travelling ministry in the towns that are outside Jerusalem. And as this section starts, we find him, don't we look at this, 
in a town northwest of Jerusalem. And it's a place called Lydda. And I'm sure you picked up on what happens in Lydda. That miraculously, Peter heals this man that we've got there. Did you get his name? His name is Aeneas. Now, what we need to do here now is just notice a few things about that guy. Let's notice a few things about Aeneas. Think, think about him. One, notice that Aeneas most likely is a Christian. Do you see that? Look what we're told in verse 32. We're told that, that Peter gone to Lydda. What does it say? To visit the saints there. So, okay, Peter's doing this sort of itinerant ministry. Yes. But he's gone to Lydda to, to fellowship with to be involved and maybe to build up the Christians there. So he's thrown himself into the sort of Christian fellowship, the church that, is, that exists in Lydda, and it's when he's amongst the, the saints, the believers, it's then that he encounters this guy Aeneas. So let's get that right. First of all, Aeneas most likely a believing bloke. Okay, that's the first thing to note about him. Secondly, note the plight <laughs> that this guy is in. I mean, we're Christians. We're supposed to empathize. And we're supposed to, to read this and take note of the state that Aeneas is in. I mean, think about it. Try and empathize with this guy. I mean, here's a guy who probably used to live a, a healthy, normal existence, right? And that's probably what he used to be like, you know? But he's a guy who, let's say, at some point in his life, there's been a, an illness, maybe. Maybe there's been an accident. But now look, look at, look at what, what state he's in here. Do you see this? For the past eight years. Get your head around that. This guy has been completely paralyzed for eight years. He has been unable to get out of his bed. That's his plight. And then note a further aspect about Aeneas. Note, please, who it is that heals Aeneas. And I tell you, this is the most important thing we get from this bit here. Who is it that heals Aeneas? I mean, it's not Peter. Is it? I mean, he's not healed. In the name of the Father! It's not like that. It's not by the power of the Holy Spirit that he has healed. Is it? Have a look. Verse 34. I mean, Peter could make this any more clear to us or to Aeneas. Jesus Christ heals you. Jesus Christ heals you. And we know, don't we, because of the repeated emphasis all the way through the book of Acts, that this is one of the most prominent themes in this book. That Jesus Christ is still active in his church. And this takes us to the main Point from our first heading. That yes, Jesus Christ is still active in his church. But what do we see with Aeneas? We see that he is able to use even seemingly redundant Christians. He is able to use them. And to use them for his great and and marvelous purposes. Okay. Um, I, re- I remember the, the first time that I came to, to London. Okay, I was just a, a young guy. 
uh, it makes me sound old, I suppose, but it was, I was younger than I am now. Uh, much younger. And I came down, believe it or not, I came down to London for cricket trials, okay? And, uh, and I went along to these trials, and, and, uh, I'll be honest with you, I absolutely hated the experience. Because what they did was they separated the batsmen from the bowlers, and I was a bowler. So I went along, uh, you know, I went with the bowlers. The next thing they did was to say, you know, all the bowlers, can you just sort of stand together? Okay, and here was me, this wee <laughs> little Scottish uh, nyaf in amongst all of these gigantic, huge sort of strapping fast bowlers. And I tell you, to this day, I don't think I have ever felt quite as sort of uh, inadequate, you know, or as intimidated as I felt right at that, that, that moment. Here's the thing, is that not how we sometimes feel within the church, isn't it? You know, we look around and um, we see the gifts and we see the talents of of some of our fellow believers and, and we can feel so small, can't we? You know, we, we see the way that God uses the gifts uh, of other Christians, even in this congregation or in other congregations, and we feel, don't we, we feel just so uh, redundant or we, we, we feel incredibly useless. And you see, what can happen is that that there, you know, that sense of uselessness, it can act as a catalyst for our spiritual apathy. Can't it? You know, we, we begin to feel giftless. And what happens? We kind of take a step back from the church. We begin to feel a wee bit, you know, useless. We feel redundant. What do we do? We, we shrink back in our spiritual lives. We actually disconnect from the church altogether. We disconnect from serving Jesus Christ. Well, I say to you, if you are in that situation this morning, then you've really got to think about this guy, Aeneas. Because think about how he must have felt lying there on a bed. Can you imagine how that Christian would have felt for the past eight years? I mean, he would have felt incredibly useless hearing about how all these other people are are leading friends and, and neighbors to Jesus Christ. And he's stuck in his bed. You know, he's hearing about his brothers and sisters being used in, in incredible and mighty ways, and he's stuck there, unable to do anything a- about it. But then what we must see is how Jesus was able to use this seemingly redundant man. And get this, how he was able to use Aeneas in two marvelous ways. Think about this. Jesus used Aeneas in the encouragement of the church. Because you, I, I presume you followed the reading with me, okay? You saw what happens after Aeneas. It kind of, the story moves on, doesn't it? You've got Lida, and then the story moves on to, do you see it? It goes on to Joppa. And then we come to, what will we call her? Will we call her Dorcas or Tabitha? Let's go for Tabitha, okay? Well, the story focuses on her. And she dies, right? We got that part. We followed it. Here's the thing. Did you see how the disciples reacted in Joppa when their friend Tabitha died? Do you see what the disciples do? See, they have heard 
about the restoration of Aeneas in Lydda. They've heard how Jesus has, 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 has restored, has used the, this, this formerly useless man. And, and their faith, disciples' faith, do you see, is massively boosted. They've heard about how Jesus has, has used Aeneas. So they think, are you okay? Let's get Peter over here. The power of Jesus Christ. They send for Peter in the hope that he will maybe raise Tabitha to life. Do you see? Aeneas is used in the encouragement of the church. But if anything, I think the second aspect here is absolutely, is much more amazing. Because Jesus used Aeneas even in the salvation of the lost. Verse 35. Look at it. Jesus heals Aeneas, this formerly redundant Christian, if you like. Verse 35. And all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon turned to the Lord. They turned to the Lord. So I want to say this to you. Do you feel this morning as though you are a useless or redundant Christian? Is that where you're at? Are those thoughts beginning to rise in your mind? Can I tell you, you are not. Can I tell you that Jesus Christ, in his wisdom, has given you, as a Christian, great, great gifts. And so to to halt that spiritual indifference in your life, perhaps it is time to consider what it is that you are good at, to really give that some thought. And then to think, how is that you can use that in the life of the church? Why? Because as Jesus used Aeneas here, I mean, this man, he's, he's lying on the bed, and he used him for, for, for his glory. Jesus can use all of us as Christians. He can use us too. So we see here that Jesus uses the formerly useless Christian. Okay. Let's move on. Secondly, let's consider that Jesus uses the formerly lifeless Christian. Okay. So he uses the formerly useless Christian. Secondly, he uses the formerly lifeless Christian. Now, um, I presume that we all know what is meant by a debutante ball. Okay, a debutante ball. This was the sort of thing that I think, I mean, I could be wrong about the dates here, but I reckon probably the sort of thing that took place in the 1920s, maybe 1930s. And this is where young women would be uh, uh, presented to society, wouldn't they? To high society. Um, They would be taken from their families um, perhaps well-to-do families, and uh, they would be taken to a sort of formal occasion at, let's say, Buckingham Palace. And uh, at some point during the night, what would happen is that, that the music would stop, wouldn't it, this formal occasion, and the, a name would be read out from the book, and the door would swing open, and the girl would walk forth, wouldn't she, ready to be presented to society, right? Well, we see some, something very similar to that in Acts chapter 9. Because as we've said, look, our attention moves from Aeneas and it moves to Tabitha. 
and the disciples, we, we've seen, they've, they've called for Peter and he's arrived. And, 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 and Peter goes in. He finds Tabitha. She's upstairs and she's lying dead. And he goes, he clears the room. And Peter raises Tabitha to life. But you see what happens then? It's beautiful, isn't it? He raises her to life. Then he takes her by the hand and he presents this formerly dead Christian. He presents her back uh, to the church. Now, as we think about that, and as we, we, we ponder the original scene in the upper room, you know, as we in our minds think about Tabitha, this, this Christian who is lying dead there on the bed, is that not a mirror that reflects our own spiritual state this morning? Is it not? I mean, as we think about the Christian Tabitha lying there in that dormant state, do you not think that is a perfect illustration of, of what Joachim was talking about last week? In the lifelessness and the, the, the sheer deadness of much of the Christian world. Do we not think about Tabitha there, lying there as this lifeless Christian, and think, that is us? Is it not true for many of us these days, right now today, that our heart of passion and love and thankfulness for Jesus Christ has just simply stopped beating. Isn't that true for you? Isn't it true that there is no breath of spiritual enthusiasm or spiritual excitement for Jesus Christ left in our lungs? Hasn't, you know, that, that vigor or the passion, the love that we used to have for Scripture when we were thirsting after reading it? where we were longing to get down on our knees and pray to Jesus Christ, hasn't that vigor just, like Tabitha, slowly begun to decay? Hasn't it? You know, like Tabitha, we can sort of say, well, we used to be really active. What does it say about Tabitha here? She was renowned for doing good. Maybe that's what we used to be like as well, renowned for doing good as Christians. But guess what? There has been, like Tabitha, a change. Friends, has there not been with us a departure? Has there not been a passing of our own spiritual, vibrant spiritual life? Because if that sounds like us, you know what should encourage us this morning? As we read this, look at Tabitha. Even in that state, in that state, Jesus can still turn it around. And Jesus can still use us. He can. And let me make this very, very clear. I am speaking to you. You see, often when we are in a a, a spiritually backslidden place, you know, often when we are not where we should be spiritually, what happens is that when a preacher or a, a pastor, he addresses the Christians in a room, we think if we're not in a good spiritual place, we think he's speaking to them. You know, he's speaking to, he's speaking to the other Christians, the better Christians, the ones that are, that are, are living as they should. Can I tell you this morning, I am not speaking to them. I am speaking to you. I am speaking to the Christian who is lifeless at the moment. 
and who is struggling spiritually. And can I say, friend, just as Jesus used Tabitha, this formerly lifeless believer, he can use you if you will just look to him today and he will use you in two marvelous ways, the same marvelous ways that he used Aeneas. Please follow me with this. Think about this. He can use your spiritual return for the encouragement of the church. Let me throw this out there. It would be the greatest encouragement to London City Presbyterian Church if, yes, okay, we saw a movement of revival. Do we not want to see a movement of revival? Do we not want to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ? That would encourage us, wouldn't it? Do you know what else would encourage us? If we saw a movement, a real movement of restoration. A movement where Christians like Tabitha, people who are, who are lifeless, people who are, who are dead, suddenly come back to Jesus Christ, suddenly see that spiritual life back in the bodies, revived by the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you this, you know what would encourage London City Presbyterian Church? If at the next congregational prayer meeting, that the music would stop, the door would swing open, and that a formerly lifeless believer would stand there and come in ready to be presented to the church. But then we also see that Jesus can use our spiritual return in the salvation of the lost. Because we're supposed to look at verse, I think it's verse 42, and we're supposed to marvel at what we see. Because just as was the case with Aeneas, because Jesus transforms Tabitha, do you see it in verse 42? Many people believed in the Lord. That people were saved because of the restoration of formerly lifeless believer. Now, can I say this to you? You surely see that that is what would happen in your life. What an impact. It would be if there was life again. What an impact you would have if we would all begin to act and breathe and live properly as Christians. Imagine that, that that movement of restoration. We started living out our faith properly. People would notice, wouldn't they? People People would ask questions. We could do great things for the gospel. But first, what must happen? First, I think we need to be honest in this room this morning. And we need to see that many of us are lying on a bed, spiritually dormant. And then we need to see that Jesus Christ, as he does with Tabitha, he can change that. And he can use us, even us, in our spiritual apathy. He can use us mightily in his kingdom. He can, friends. So Jesus uses the formerly useless and the formerly lifeless Christian. The third and last heading this morning is that Jesus uses the means of grace. Okay, Jesus uses the means of grace. Okay. Now, I'm on shaky ground here, but 
uh, my wife's hair has uh, been a topic of conversation in our <laughs> in our house uh, for the past number of weeks. You know, I think it's true that husbands, guys, want to. I've got to be very careful here. We want to compliment uh, our wives on uh, on their haircut. You know, when they get a haircut. Now, I found that difficult. In previous times, not because I haven't liked my wife's haircuts, but she will say it herself. <laughs> I found it difficult because sometimes she will only get a very little bit hairdresser, so I'm left thinking, should I say something? Should I say something nice? Maybe the appointment has been cancelled. Uh, there was no such problem last time that my wife got her haircut. Uh, because man alive, the haircut was was uh, quite drastic, wasn't it? So it was easy for me to compliment my wife. Now that takes us, believe it or not, to a point in the text here that's very, very important that we grasp. Think about this. Both Aeneas and Tabitha are used what, for the encouragement of the church. They're used for the salvation of the lost. Why? Now, it's not because there was a sort of small, subtle difference in their circumstances, was it? Do you see that? These, both of these people were used mightily by Jesus Christ because there was this, this, this massive, <laughs> drastic change in their circumstances. I mean, think about it. Go from being lying on a bed for eight years to up and about, walking about, no wonder people saw it and rejoiced. And then Tabitha, for goodness sake, Tabitha was raised to life. What drastic change. So, as we this morning consider our spiritual sleepwalking, that's what we've got to see. We've got to see that, that if we are going to change spiritually, And walk as we should as Christians. It is not going to happen if we just sort of think this morning, okay, I can see that. I will maybe read a verse of scripture on on Wednesday or Thursday. It's not going to happen like that. What we need in this place, in our hearts, is an entire and extreme and comprehensive change, isn't it? And so the way we close our sermon is pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, we, we, we want this, don't we? Don't we want it? Don't we want real spiritual change? Don't we want it to be just on fire for Jesus Christ? Surely we want this. So the question is, how do we receive this significant change? i tell you this. The passage of Scripture tells us it gives us the answer to how we can change. You see, here's, here's the question for you. How is it that Peter, through Jesus Christ, raise, raises Tabitha? Do you see it in the text? How is it that Peter raises Tabitha to life? Do you see it? I'll give you the verse. It's verse 40. Please look at it. How does he raise her to life? He simply got down on his knees. He prayed. 
Do you see that there isn't any sort of pomp and circumstance there in raising Tabitha to life? Do you see that? There isn't any sort of dramatic sort of anointing with oil. There's, there's no ceremony. Do you see that even unlike Jesus, in a similar circumstance, he doesn't get down and, and bring her to her feet? Do you see that? Do you see even like Elijah? Do you remember that in the Old Testament? Peter here doesn't lie head to toe on, on top of her. Not, there's no extras. There's no add-ons. He simply ensures that there is peace. He gets down and he prays. Friend, do you see what you need to do? Do you see this morning that only prayer will act as your spiritual defibrillator? Do you see that? Only prayer, that your return to Jesus Christ is actually only going to come if you will do this, that you will get down on your knees and bow before the throne of grace. So predictably, I have a challenge for you this morning. And it's a challenge not for the the Christians in here who are just on fire for Jesus Christ, you know, and uh, are floating high. It's not a challenge for you. It is a challenge for you if you are struggling with your faith. Brother and sister, what you need to do is this. This afternoon, not tonight, not tomorrow, not sometime next week, but this afternoon, you need to get down on your knees and you need to pray. And I know you're going to say, it's too difficult. I've got people coming round to my house for lunch. <laughs> or I'm going to somebody else's for lunch. It's too difficult. Let me say to that, this is infinitely and eternally more important than that. I know it's difficult. But what we all need to do is do as Peter did and clear some space, find some quiet, get on our knees and cry out to God. Did you know what will happen if we do that? Maybe, like Tabitha, that heart will begin to beat again and there will be breath of life in our lungs and we will sense spiritual life returning. And I end with this, okay? I'll end with something I've already said. Both of these people Aeneas and Tabitha were what? They were Christians, weren't they? Christians. But let me say, the bigger picture that we have in Scripture is that this here is what Jesus Christ can do for you if you are entirely spiritually lifeless, you know? This here is what Jesus Christ can do for you if you are not a Christian. See, the Bible makes it very, very clear. It says it frequently. That if you're a person who has, who has never sort of bowed to Jesus Christ, if you're a person here this morning who's never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you are, this morning, before God, dead. You are dead in your trespasses and your sins. Does that describe your state before God this morning? Are you dead? I hope you see. 
that new life can come in Jesus Christ. And if you want that, do you want that new life that Jesus brings? Well, then you too must pray. And if you do that, okay, follow me here. If you do that, if you get down on your knees and you ask God for forgiveness for your sin, and if you are sincere and Christ grants you that forgiveness, do you know what's going to happen? Do you know what's going to happen on the, the final day, in the final analysis, you know, when everything has come to an end and we are all before our Creator in His throne room? You've asked God for forgiveness, what's going to happen? Do you know where I'm going with this? The music of heaven is going to stop, isn't it? Your name is going to be read out and the door is going to fling open and there you will stand, righteous and living, ready to be presented to all the saints of glory. Friends, I hope you see this morning, all of us, Christian, non-Christian, that spiritual life is found in Jesus Christ. Let us all, each of us, today, bow before the Lord. Let's pray.